0: All right, we're in Acts chapter twenty eight. I know today is Mother's Day, but my Mother's Day message to you is that we would be a people. Whose hearts would not be hard. I do want to say this. um, I really. I really appreciate our mothers. And I thought of this scripture. And I just want to read it to you. From Galatians chapter 6. Verse 9. Paul writes, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, mothering is hard work. And we'll talk a little bit about this in the midst of our message as we talk about hardness of heart today. But There is a movement today that discounts And discredits. And maligns mothers. And makes it appear as though. Motherhood. Just simply being a mother. Is really nothing great. And I want to encourage all of you mothers. Especially you young mothers. With children. Who do the hard work. Every day. Who consistently discipline your children, who consistently don't give in to the sinfulness of your children. Anders has it right. We all disobey because we're sinful. And children are born sinful. That's why they need to be born again. And we don't have to teach our children to sin. They come by it naturally because that's how they're born. And when we give place to that rebellion and to that sin simply because we grow weary of disciplining We grow weary of saying no. We grow weary because they push us and push us because they know sometimes we've conditioned them to know that if we give in, if they're obstinate enough, rebellious enough, we'll give in because we grow weary. And when we do that, we reap not good things, we reap bad things. And today, as we look across the landscape of our nation, I think it's fair to say That we are reaping the very, very bad fruit of poor parenting or no parenting. Now parents can do everything right and their children can still rebel. But there is a reason why the Bible tells us to raise our children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. And to consistently discipline them, faithfully discipline them, and train them in the way that they should go. Because though it can happen, the promise of God is that if we raise our children right, they will be faithful children, young and old. They don't have to depart. Billy Graham could tell you the moment he came to faith in Christ, His wife, Ruth Graham, said she could never remember a time that she did not trust in Jesus. And I think if we're shooting for a goal, that should be our goal. That our children would be raised in such an environment that they would never remember never trusting Jesus. They would always have that in their heart and in their minds. So mothers, I want to encourage you today to not grow weary in doing good. To do the hard work of mothering. There is no job more difficult than the job of mothers and fathers raising their children. And there is no job worth more that gives more value. Not only to you and to your children, but to this earth and to humanity. And when we see children left to themselves, this is what we're seeing in our culture. And there is no excuse for it except it's sin. And the only remedy for sin is Christ and the gospel. And the only way that's going to change is that we as believers do the hard work, the faithful work of preaching and teaching the gospel and refusing to give in and to compromise in the face of worldly pressure who places more value on popularity than they do on truth. And if we as a church or as a people place more popularity or more um, credence on popularity than truth, it won't end well for us. God will eventually bring things around. He will set things right. The question is, What will we endure as a culture and as a nation until that day comes? Until the people of God once again stand up and proclaim the truth of God without compromise. It begins at home. It begins with mothers and fathers doing the hard work of raising their children and not allowing them to be satisfied to live the life of sinners but enforcing in them and reinforcing in them that the truth and only the truth will set you free. That sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end thereof is death. There are no more true words. And so we should not lack motivation as a people or as a church. So take courage, mothers. The Lord is for you. And if the Lord is for you, who can be against you? All right, Acts chapter 28, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain." Then they said to me, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came, reported, or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. Persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. From morning until evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying... Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern The Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this record of the Apostle Paul and the acts of all the apostles. Thank you, Lord, for this piece of history recorded for us. But Lord, more than history, this is the inspired word of God, And it is recorded for us and for our example today. So the example we see in Paul and the other apostles, the example we see in the people of God, faithful and unfaithful. Lord, those examples are for us today that we will either live according to their example and model Jesus Christ, or we will learn from their poor examples and their disobedience and the judgments that came upon them. And be motivated to repent of our sin and turn to God and trust in Him. Father, we're living in a day more than ever before in our lifetimes that we need Jesus to heal our land, our hearts, our minds. Lord, this nation needs Jesus, and it is the church that holds the key as to whether and as to when this nation. And all nations will experience their healing from God. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, convict us of our sin today. Convict us of our unbelief. Convict us of the hardness of our hearts. Convict us of our apathy and our complacency. Lord, move us by your Spirit that we would not settle for lesser things, but we would look to you and seek your face and settle only for for those things that you have given to us by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Things that make for your glory and for our good. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in the book of Acts, chapter 28. And I know I skipped um, I skipped portions. I skipped, uh, I think, all of... Um, Most of chapter 27, and that's okay, Uh, we'll get back to that later, because we'll always teach through the scripture. Chapter 27 recorded for us um, Paul's journey to Rome. And so, just for time's sake, we'll say after much hardship, Paul arrives in Rome. And Paul is allowed to stay by himself in a rented house along with a soldier that is guarding him. And he's waiting there to make his appearance before Caesar because he had appealed to Caesar for the crime he was accused of. Which was really not a crime at all. And the only reason he was sent to Rome was because he had already made the appeal. And once the appeal was made there was no power or authority to reverse that appeal. And so in keeping with the law, they send Paul to Rome. And Paul is waiting for his appearance before Caesar. We see at the end of the chapter, he waits two years before he makes his appearance before Caesar. And he's ultimately released. Um, Persecution by Rome has not happened yet. So when Paul is riding his... um, When these things are taking place, and we see Paul still alive at the end of the book of Acts, Paul had not experienced persecution yet. In fact, you see that it is Rome that actually protected Paul from the persecution that came from the Jews. That would not last. By AD 64, when Nero comes to power, Nero would begin 300 years of persecution of Christians at the hands of the Romans. Brutal persecution. But that's not where Paul is yet. So here in Acts chapter 28, Paul is in this rented house. And he calls for the leaders of the Jewish uh, community there in Rome. So Rome had a huge Jewish population. Uh, Contrary to popular history, it was not Peter that took the gospel to Rome. More than likely, it was Roman Jews who were there at the day of Pentecost who heard the gospel preached and took the gospel message back to Rome with them after having been in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus. By the time Paul gets to Rome, there is a well-established church there. And by the time Paul gets to Rome, it is a Jewish and a Gentile church. And when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he had not yet been to Rome, and he's writing to this mixed church. And so here, in the scripture we just read, in verses 17 through 20, Paul is there, he calls for the leaders of the Jew, they come together and he lays out his case before these leaders. And he informs them that the Romans had found no charge against them and he wasn't coming to Rome to make accusations against the Jews or to make life more difficult for the Jews. In other words, Paul was telling them, I'm not vindictive. I don't have a grudge against my people. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because I was falsely charged. And it was his own self-defense is the reason why he appealed to Caesar. Because he knew that the Jews had already tried to kill him once. And they were waiting for another opportunity. And they would, at at the risk of their own lives, kill Paul to get rid of him. Just as they murdered Jesus. And so the hope of Israel, Paul says, I'm not guilty of a crime, but I have this chain because of the hope of Israel. Well, the hope of Israel is a term that refers to the Messiah. In other words, he says the hope of Israel is, is, is why I'm here. It's my proclamation of the gospel, the good news that the Messiah has come. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the resurrected Lord of glory. And this is why I am bound with this chain. So the hope of Israel is the hope of the Messiah. Paul was in chains for declaring the resurrected Jesus to be that Messiah. The Christ of God, Israel's hope, and the hope of all men, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. And this was another thing that the Jews in Judea, particularly in Jerusalem, had against Paul, that he was preaching salvation to the Gentiles. And in their opinion, if Gentiles were going to be saved, they had to become Jews first. There was none of this by faith business. They had to keep the law. And if anyone taught anything other than that, it was considered blasphemy and worthy of death. And this is exactly what Paul did prior to his conversion. He was going about arresting Christians, either having them reject their faith or die for their faith. This is where, what he was doing when Jesus comes to him on the road to Damascus. Now, here we are years later, and Paul is preaching the gospel, and Paul's own life is at peril because of that gospel he once persecuted. And so he says, um, it says they appointed a day, and the people came, and Paul is explaining to them and laying all of this out. And they said, We have not heard any accusations against you. No one has come from Judea and made any reports of you. We've we've not heard anything good or bad about you. But we have heard about this sect. Everyone has heard about it, and, and people are against it everywhere, in particular the Jews. The Jews were up in arms because of the gospel of Christ, because of salvation by grace through faith and not by works, not by the deeds of the law. So they says, we, we've not heard anything about you, but we would like to hear from you concerning this sect that is spoken against everywhere. And so in verse 23, it says, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging. So the Romans allowed Paul to have free access. In other words, people could come and go, and he was allowed to freely preach and teach the gospel unhindered by the Romans. And so all of these Jewish leaders came to Paul's house, his rented house. And the Bible says that from morning until evening, Paul persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets, and that he solemnly testified, he explained, he expounded on the scriptures concerning the kingdom of God. And it says in verse 24, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. And in the midst of their disagreement among themselves, as Paul has laid everything out literally all day. As they are in disagreement among themselves, Luke records that Paul spoke one final word. And that one word he spoke was the end of the meeting because all the Jews left after that. And the word that he spoke was this. Paul said to the Jews, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. So you are all hearing my voice today. I know you can hear, but I don't know if you can understand. And seeing you will see, And not perceive. I said to a friend of mine last night. Who can't believe because he's a scientist. And I said. There was a chair sitting in my dining room. And I said do you believe somebody made that chair? Well of course. And I said but yet you believe you happened by accident. I said what do you you mean by accident? I said you believe you evolved. You know somebody made that chair. It's obvious. But yet you believe you evolved. You happened by accident. I mean, how did, we, how did we happen to become humans instead of gardenias or oak trees or the little dogs out on the porch? Just an accident. That's evolution. It just happened. But yet no one here thinks this podium, that chair, the clothes we're wearing, just, just evolved, just happened by accident something so infinitely simple and not complex yet look at the human sitting in this room look at the creation all around us and we believe that just happened someone created this pulpit but no one created the world we live in do you see that that does not that's not even logic that is that is so nonsensical Well, this is exactly what Paul is saying to the Jews. Oh, the Jews believed God created the world, all right. They believed that. But they didn't believe in the Creator. Because you know who the Creator was? Scripture tells us Jesus was the Creator. Jesus was the person of the Godhead who created all things. All things were created by Him, for Him, and through Him. So the Jews believing that God created the world wasn't the problem. The problem was they didn't believe in the creator. And when you get down to where Jesus was walking planet earth, they didn't believe that creator was also there foretold and prophesied Messiah. They rejected him. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed And had a great dispute among themselves. I bet they did. It was not just the words of Isaiah declaring the hardness of their hearts. It was the fact that their hardness of heart meant salvation for the Gentiles. And again Paul tells the Jews that if they will not hear. He will go to the Gentiles and they will hear. And Paul had consistently told the Jews this as he was ejected from synagogues and had to leave towns in fear for his life. After these words pointing out the hardness of their hearts, the Jews departed. This historical narrative is important for us today, for we find ourselves in a very similar situation where those who profess to be the people of God must decide what they are going to do with the truth of God's word. I want to consider the words of Isaiah quoted by Paul, but also quoted by Jesus and recorded for us in all four of the Gospels. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but those words are in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the, Paul, the words that Paul quoted in Acts. And those same words are referenced in Matthew 13, 14 through 15, Mark 4, 11 and 12. Luke 8:10 and John 12:39 through41. I do want to read to you from John's gospel. Jesus said in John 12: 39 through41, "Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, "He has blinded their hearts and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them." These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. They could not believe. These verses may prompt the question as to whether God hardened their hearts or whether they themselves hardened their hearts. The answer is a definite yes. They could not believe because they would not believe. In their hardness, God hardened them. This should be concerning for us today, especially when the hardness of men's hearts is so obvious among those who profess faith in Christ. It's not that they wanted to believe and they wanted to see and they wanted to hear the truth, but God just wouldn't allow it. That's that's what some people erroneously believe. It was their will to not believe. It was their will to not see, to not hear. They willfully suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. God simply allowed them to follow their sinful will. Just as God did Pharaoh when he hardened their already hard hearts. This is the condition we are all born into in our first birth. We're born into sin and death and it reigns in us and dominates us and our will is in bondage to sin until God intervenes in his grace and causes us to be born again by the Spirit. In our new birth, we're given a new heart with faith and power to believe and obey and walk in the Spirit and no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord by his grace. Now we are to walk as children of light. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.14, he says, Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It is past time for the church to awake, to rise, and to walk in the light of Christ. And if we desire God to hear from heaven and heal our land, it's not the world, but the church. It's God's people that must repent and turn from their wicked ways. The world is the world because they're in darkness. That's what they are. They can't believe because they're blind, they're deaf, their hearts are hard. They are literally dead to God. We should not expect anything different from the world than what we are seeing. The problem is not the world. The problem is the church who has not been faithful to God and the gospel and has allowed the world because it refused to be salt and light and preserve what God had established. This is our problem today. If we, the church, will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our sin, That's the promise of God, that he will move and God will bring the much-needed healing to our land. The words of the prophet Isaiah reveal the hardness of the hearts of the Jews. That same hardness seen in the Jews should be a warning to all who profess faith in God through Jesus Christ. The Jews were God's people. God's people had hard hearts and would not believe God's word, the very God they professed to believe in. Well, it's the same thing that we're seeing in the church today. We can claim to be God's people with our mouth, but it is our heart that will ultimately determine if we truly belong to him. There are many who claim to love Jesus, but their actions and even their words tell a different story. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If faith is in our heart, not only will our mouth speak, but our life will speak also. Faith works. But it's not works that save us. It's faith that saves us. And the most important work of faith is trusting in Jesus. When Jesus was feeding people, multiplying loaves and fishes, and people were in awe of the miracle, and they said, Lord, we want to do the works of God. And he said, here's here's the work of God. Let me tell you, the work of God is to believe on him whom he sent. To believe on the Son of God. That is the work of God. Oh, well, wait. Well, but we wanted to do miracles. See, that's the problem. We don't want to do what God tells us we must do. We must believe. We must trust. Galatians 5:6 for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. No work avails anything but faith working through love. Or the simple words of Jesus recorded for us in John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said these very simple yet powerful words. If you love me, keep my commandments. There are many today claiming to speak for God and telling us what Jesus would do if he were here among us. Well, actually, he is here among us. Did you know that? Many don't realize that. Christ has not left us alone, nor does he forsake us. Jesus dwells in us now by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is among us. For those who have been given new hearts know this. Just as in Paul's day, many of those professors of faith in God are leaders inside the church and outside. Often faithful sounding words are spoken to curry favor with people without consideration of God and his word. Though they confessed to follow God with their mouth, it was Israel's hardness of heart that continually brought God's judgment upon the nation. The cycle of sin and repentance we see in the history of God's people, it is not unique to the Jews. This is the condition of sinful humanity. This is why we need a Savior. Our need for a Savior is far more than our need to be delivered from hell. Most people are so worried about heaven or hell, they forget they're living on earth. And we need to make a difference here on earth long before hopefully we get to heaven, hopefully not hell. Yes, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We must remember that faith works and it is not passive but active here and now. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's the scripture. Both of those are scriptures. Do you see, faith is about how we live. It's about how we walk right now. Faith is not just something we hold in our heart and our mind. It is to come out of our life for all to see, for all to know. It's to come out of our mouth for all to hear. It's to come out of our actions for all to know. Faith hears and obeys God's word. Faith embraces the kingdom of God and the gospel of Christ, and it defines all and orders all accordingly. Faith sees the world through the eyes given to us by God's grace. That means we see the world and the whole created order very differently than those who are of the world. We're in the world, we're just not of the world. Those of the world are in sin and darkness and unable to see God's creation. Very often when, when I say that they're in sin, we want to think of some gross, horrible, mean, cruel, despotic person doing horrible things, horrible deeds. Now, to be in sin doesn't mean you're not a moralistic person. It doesn't even mean you're not a... A good person, as the world defines good, doesn't mean you don't give lots of of your time or money and do philanthropic things, And, and the world looks at you and holds you up as a picture of the way we're all supposed to live. But if you don't know Jesus, if you're not trusting in Jesus, those good works cannot buy you anything. They don't gain you anything, though you may have blessed a lot of people on earth without Jesus. It's nothing. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. I can give my body to be burned. I can give everything I have, but if I have not love, if I don't have Christ, it's meaningless. The issues we find ourselves confronted with today are issues presented to us by the world because of the world's rejection of God and his truth as revealed to us in the word of God. The world has always rejected God. We need to remember this. The Bible is crystal clear on that issue. The, problem, the problems and the challenges we face today from the world's opposition to God and to the church are symptoms of the true problem that we have in the church. The world's rejection and hardness toward God is something that we should not be surprised by. It is the church's rejection of God and his word and the truth that is bringing the judgment upon this nation. That's what should surprise us is the people who profess faith in Jesus. their rejection of God, their rejection of the truth. You say, well, they don't say they reject God. Yet they say that what the Bible calls sin is not sin. The, the, the Bible who defines God for us and Christ for us, we want to define Him a different way. We want Him to be a different person. That is simply the rejection of God and the rejection of the truth. And that in the church is what's bringing judgment upon this nation. And don't think that it's not happening. It is. Judgment begins in the house of God. The church better begin to judge herself, which means we all are open to scrutiny From God and his word. The church and her shepherds have been silent too long. We've been content to worship in our buildings. And focus on and judge all based on our personal spiritual experiences. Our faith has become so personal. It never escapes our personal life. It never seeps outside the walls of the church. Or the confines of our own mind. To become salt and light to the world around us. We've. We have a personal Jesus, and we keep him personally to ourselves. We certainly do not want to go around talking about sin. Those are personal issues and personal matters not to be discussed by other people. You see where I'm going with this? With the leading of some leading pastors, we have convinced ourselves that we don't need to preach or teach or talk about sin. The personal Holy Spirit in you will do that. We just need to be nice and keep everyone happy. I've been to a lot of church growth conferences and seminars. And do you know what? I can sum them all all up in this one sentence. This is the basis of all the all-important church growth industry in America. This is it. Be nice and keep everyone happy. As long as we are nice and we keep everyone happy, our churches will be successful. We'll have gigantic buildings. Gigantic budgets, gigantic tithes and offerings. It's, it'll be great. Only problem is, we're just filling buildings up with people who may be on their way to hell instead of on their way to heaven like they may erroneously think that they are. It's a strange Mother's Day sermon, isn't it? That is the basis So much of the church today, and if we are not willing to speak the truth in love, no matter how offensive it will be, we do not love God and we do not love others. And we are not obeying God. And if we profess to love him, then we are commanded to obey him. If we find ourselves more worried about what man thinks than what God thinks, we should be worried about ourselves. If we have convinced ourselves that sin as defined in the Bible is no longer an applicable definition, we are deceived and in danger of hellfire. If we have convinced ourselves that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus as defined by the major media and Hollywood elites, we are deceived and we are in danger of hellfire. If we think we can get God's word by reading other people's opinions about God's word, instead of actually reading God's word for ourselves, we may be in danger of hellfire. If you think that preachers should not be talking about hellfire in the 21st century, you may be in danger of hellfire. If you are wondering why I'm talking about hellfire when it's Mother's Day, well, you may be in danger of hellfire. I know this is when we're supposed to hand out the roses and the trinkets to all of our mothers. I don't have any roses or trinkets for you today. I don't. Though I do value, value each and every one of you more than you know. The fifth commandment, as we discussed with the children today, commands us to honor our mothers. We don't need a day created by the greeting card industry to remind us of that. Though we seem to be much more in tune with words on greeting cards than we are words carved on stone tablets and recorded for us in our Bibles. The word of God. While I'm on the subject of mothers who are much maligned today for being mothers. You do know that children are destroying our planet. So we must stop having them and destroy them before they destroy us. You think I'm joking? I'm not. We have a whole industry devoted to this. It's called the abortion industry. And it's an extremely profitable industry for the purveyors of murdered babies. More and more women are convinced that motherhood is a danger to the planet and the future of humanity. And I'm being dead serious. I've read the articles. We've got to stop having babies for the sake of humanity and the planet. Have you noticed that the things that are being said and taught and done are so ludicrous and illogical and crazy that if we would have written these things not that many years before, it it would have just sounded, it would have sounded unbelievable. Yet this is actually what's happening in our world. This is actually being promoted right now for the future of humanity. Women should stop having babies. Do the planet a favor. Choose to not be a mother. That's a motto that's being promoted across our culture. Do you see and hear and sense the hardness of heart? This is what Paul was saying to the Jews that he spent all day talking to them about Christ and the kingdom, and they couldn't receive it. And we should be careful lest we point fingers at others when we need to deal with the the, the hardness in our own hearts. There are people and movements within the confessing church that are promoting this and far worse things, all in the name of love and in the name of Christ, It is, as Anders would put it, sin, pure and simple. Do you see the problem is not in the world but in the church? It has become as the world. The solution is the gospel. Return to the word, return to the gospel. This is what must happen. God's people must demand no less than the word of God without compromise. God's shepherds must repent and find the courage that comes with a spirit-filled life and stand up straight and preach the gospel of Christ. You should encourage your friends and families in the churches that they're going to to demand that their pastors preach the truth if they're not already doing it. And if their pastors won't preach the truth, then you should encourage them to leave those churches. Because those are the churches that need to die. Those are the churches that need to go away. Because the only hope this nation has is a return to the gospel. And that return is not going to come from Hollywood. It's not going to come from Washington. It's not going to come from Austin. It's going to come from the pulpits of the churches. And it's going to be seen and it's going to be known in the hearts of people. Your heart, my heart. From the pulpit to the pew, we all must be willing to suffer the consequence of the current cancel culture, or worse. Just yesterday we had another pastor in Canada arrested for gathering to worship. Some of you may have seen him, Pastor Alter Pulowski. I think there were seven police vehicles. That intercepted him on the highway. It was like taking down a terrorist. Arrested him and his son and carried him away. Here's the here's the statement from the the police. Arthur Pulowski and David Pulowski have been arrested and charged with organizing an illegal in-person gathering, including inciting or inviting others to attend an illegal public gathering. That illegal in-person public gathering was a worship service at their church. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, you know, that will never happen here. That was Canada, and he's the second pastor that's been arrested Both of them arrested. James Coates was arrested earlier in the year on the same charge, having church. In England, street preachers are routinely arrested for offending people in public. You might wonder how they offend people. A pastor was recently arrested for reading from Genesis and teaching about biblical marriage. And he was arrested for offending a hate crime. Because someone listening to him was offended about biblical marriage. See, we want to believe this is happening in faraway lands where people don't know any better. We were birthed from England. England has basically passed down through the gospel the the very documents and the very things that we base our freedom on. It was the English who made King John put his X on the Magna Carta. He couldn't read or write. So he put his X on the Magna Carta, which said, You, king, are not above the laws of the people. And we will hold you accountable. And they brought their armies, and their armies made the king put his X on the Magna Carta. Then they let him keep being king, but they held him accountable. In England now, you get arrested for offending people with the gospel. In Ireland, they've sent police to shut down Catholic masses, making people leave the churches all in the name of public health. It's happening here in America. Churches are fine. Churches are shut down. It happened last year. It's happening right now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. What are we doing with the liberty given to us by God? Are we taking it for granted as though we could never lose it? Do you see that it is our God-ordained inalienable rights? Is that what you see, or do you see privileges given to us by men? Allowed, man allows us to have them. The government allows us to have these privileges. And if the government decides to take them away, well, you know, the Bible says obey the governing authorities over you. I've had pastors tell me that. And it is very sad. If we, the people of God, keep silent, we are in sin and disobedience to God. Now more than ever, we need to open our mouths. We need to let the gospel of Christ be clearly and loudly heard. There is no doubt we will offend people. The gospel was so offensive coming from Jesus. The very personification of love That they murdered him to silence him. The good news is it did not work. How do we know? Because here we are today proclaiming his gospel still. The gospel, just like Jesus, is still alive and well and filling the earth. We must choose how we will play our part in his story. Will you go along to get along? I actually had a pastor convey that to me a few weeks ago. Well, you know, we just need to go along to get along. It's obviously not an uncommon sentiment within the church as we look around us. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus never went along to get along. He came to do his Father's will, and so we are here to do his. Will you boldly live and proclaim the gospel no matter the cost? I pray you will. Mothers, when you're tempted to give in to those rebellious children who are sinning, yes, sinning, remember that every time you give in to their sin, you are conditioning them to learn how to keep on sinning and rebelling against God. It all starts with the family. Let's raise our children with pliable hearts, teaching them that the hard-hearted rebellion will only lead to death and destruction. Let's begin in our families, but let it not stop there. Demand better from your shepherds. Demand better from the church in general. Pray for the church. Don't pray for the world. Pray for the church to repent. Because when the church repents and God moves, God will take care of the world one way or the other. Let's get ready to come to the table. God is good. He is so graceful. The Bible is plain. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If your desire is to love Jesus, to trust Jesus, to grow in the grace and the knowledge knowledge of Jesus, no matter what your past is. My friend told me last night, he said, I'm too bad for God. There is no sin. That's, that's an affront to God. The blood of Jesus will wash away and take away any sin. Any sin. And if we call upon God, God will save us. If you have called upon Him, if you're trusting in Him, if you count yourself a covenant member of His body, then welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. Well, very simply, I want to reemphasize what I started with when I talked to the mothers. This is a word for all of us. That we would all trust the Lord, that we would all realize that discipleship is not complicated, it's just hard work. And we've seen the fruit in our nation, we're living it right now. The fruitlessness of the church who has not gone and made disciples as Jesus commanded So as we determine to do the hard work of discipleship, the hard work of walking by faith, not by sight, let us not grow weary while doing good. Let us trust that in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And when you feel yourself losing heart, growing weary, look to the Lord, turn to the Lord. He is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength and I pray his joy over each and every one of you today especially our mothers I pray that you go home and you honor and you celebrate the mothers I pray you children will obey your mothers especially today but really every day right yeah. Father in heaven we thank you and we just ask that you were Bless our mothers today. We give you thanks for them. Give you thanks for all of our families. Fathers, mothers, children. Thank you for that grace given to us in Jesus.